We don't, like, you guys do so well all the time, and now we just don't know what's wrong. So praise the Lord. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, uh, let not uh, microphone and sound things distract us from your word. Holy Spirit, I do pray for your help that you would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment this morning and guide us into the truth as only you can. Uh, Help me, Lord, uh, be clear uh, and concise to get across these truths as important as they are. I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease. For your name's sake and for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, But as I was saying, we have got to pray the word, sing the word. We're about to hear the word, and we are going to get to see the word in baptism uh, and for members this evening in the Lord's Supper. So a special day this morning to be able to consider these things. Um, As I just mentioned and just prayed, I I was enjoying that song just as a, a cry for the Lord's help, even for myself as I stand up to do an impossible task to, uh, to preach God's word. Um, but it's possible with the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, so long as I stick with the word. But asking for help is not something that we all like to do, right? Uh, especially as Americans, and especially even more so if you're a, a true Texan, Uh, We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to admit that we need help. We don't like to admit weaknesses. And yet, um, it is Jesus' encouragement uh, to us to ask for help. Uh, It is his encouragement to look to him for help. He knows our weakness already. In fact, this passage that we'll be looking at, um, Jesus knows our weakness. He knows the burden that the disciples are feeling in this moment. And so he promises them a helper. He promises them help from this helper and even says that it's to their advantage that he would go away. And so even thinking about the, the fact that we don't like to ask for help, we don't like to admit our weakness. It, I was mindful of Psalm 121 where the psalmist says is, They're making their way towards Jerusalem for that annual feast to worship the Lord in the Psalms of Ascent. In Psalm 121, as they're moving up towards Jerusalem, the psalmist write, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In church this morning, we need to remember where our help comes from. It doesn't come from a list of practical tips for you this week. It doesn't come from uh, a post online or an article or even, even a book. Uh, it doesn't come from even one of us in this room, though the, uh, alone at least. Though the Lord may use one of you to help another in need this week, Our help ultimately rests in the Lord. And he's given us his very Holy Spirit, whom he calls the helper, uh, both already in the Gospel of John and in our passage this morning. He gives us uh, his helper to help us. 
And so this is the truth that this passage really seeks to communicate. It's that the help of the Holy Spirit is what the world and the church need. The help of the Holy Spirit is what both the world and the church need. And we who are Christians need to remember, first and foremost, that we were a part of the world. And we needed the help of the Holy Spirit to have our eyes opened, our ears opened, our hearts regenerated, to be able to know who Christ is and to be able to uh, believe in him and repent of our sins in turn. And this is what the world still needs. The world still needs the work of the Holy Spirit on their lives. Think about what Jesus said to, um, said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. The world needs the Holy Spirit to be able to know who Christ is, to repent of their sins and believe in him. And we were a part of that world, but we have repented. We have believed with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the church still needs the help of the Holy Spirit. Christian church, let's not forget that how we came to know the Lord through the help of the Holy Spirit, we still need that same help all of the days of our life. We still need the help of the Holy Spirit to continue to reveal the Son to us, to continue to guide us into all truth, to continue to help us in our weakness, to honor and glorify him. And this is what Jesus promises the disciples. This is what he assures them they will uh, get to enjoy when he leaves them. And so look with me in John chapter 16. Marquita was faithful to read this and pray this scripture for us already. But I want to draw your eyes to it yourself this morning. So as she said, if you haven't already turned there, I want you to. I want you to open up your Bible or the Bible near you. Page 848, I think she said. Look at God's word with me that you might see it with your own eyes, hear it with your own ears. And I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would help you know it and believe it in your heart and there Jesus, again in the upper room, on the night before he was betrayed, at this point with 11 of his original 12 disciples, having already sent Judas out um, to go and to do what he was going to do quickly, Jesus said. That is, to betray Jesus uh, and to turn him in to the authorities. So the 11 disciples are there. Jesus had told them that he was going away, that he would not be with them any longer, going to the Father. And that brought about sorrow and a burden on them that Jesus recognized. And he urged them, do not be fearful to believe in him. He even encouraged them uh, to, to believe in them four times and promised that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's presence would be with them. As they would go out, he encouraged them to abide in him, knowing that that was the only way that they would persevere and be faithful and be fruitful in their life. Um, but even on, on top of that promise that he would go away from them and that they would be burdened, he went another step. And, and last week we looked at 
the end of John 15, where he said, not only that, though, you will be hated in the world. Because you are, you, you've repented of your sins and trusted in me, because you've taken your name upon me, because you are following me, you're going to be hated in this world. And so in light of the fact that Jesus was going away and in, the, in light of the fact that they were going to be hated in the world, Jesus knew that they were, again, burdened and sorrowful, fearful even. And so Jesus speaks a word of encouragement to them. In John chapter 16, in the end of verse 4, Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. There was no need for him to tell them what was going to happen at this point. The ministry of Jesus and the time the disciples had with Jesus up to that point was one of teaching them the truth in preparation for this moment when he would announce that he was leaving them and that they would need to rely upon his Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 5, But now I am going to him who sent me, namely the Father. And none of you asked me, where are you going? At least none of, none of them are asking him at this point, because previously Peter and Thomas had asked Jesus, where are you going? Uh, where are you going? In, in, you're telling us that you're going away, but where? And Jesus there said, at that point, I'm going to my father. Have you not been listening up to this, up to this point? And so by this point in the conversation, they're no longer asking, where are you going? They know where Jesus is going. He's going back to heaven, back to be with his heavenly father who sent him on this mission already. The question is not so much where are you going, it's uh, when are you going? How soon are you going? And what's going to happen when you go? And so in verse 6, Jesus continues, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Again, that sorrow because of him saying he's going. And the sorrow that's in their heart, knowing that they too, like Christ, are going to be hated in this world. But Jesus says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want you to think for a second. Imagine, imagine that in the presence of Jesus, having enjoyed the ministry of Jesus for some three years, having heard him teach time and time again, having witnessed these signs that John is recording time and time again, and yet Jesus saying in this moment that it's to their advantage that he go away. Because if he doesn't go away, the Spirit won't come. And it's not as if the, the world can't handle both the Son and the Spirit, uh, as if Jesus has to leave before the Son can come. No, it's not, it's not that. It's that the Spirit proceeds from uh, the Son. Je Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit. 
both the Father and the Son are actually recorded as saying that they will send the Holy Spirit to us. And so it's a matter of progression, that this has been the plan from the beginning of time, that Jesus would come, he would accomplish what he was sent to do, being born of a virgin, living a perfect and sinless life, uh, a righteous life, and yet willingly give up his life to die on the cross in our place for the sins of all who would believe. He would be buried in a tomb. He would be resurrected on the third day, conquering both sin and death, victorious over Satan and death in the resurrection. He would appear to many for some 40 days and then ascend to the right hand of God the Father. Um, proof that he was victorious and had accomplished what he was sent to do. And there, from the right hand of God, he would send the very Holy Spirit to be with all of those who believe. This was the plan from the very beginning. And so the Spirit would not come lest the Son accomplish his work and go back to the Father and send the Spirit to be uh, to be with us. And so that's why Jesus says it's actually to their advantage in the midst of their sorrow of loneliness, in the midst of their sorrow of being different, even hated in the world. Jesus said that they would be benefited by Jesus going back to be with the Father and sending the Helper. The Holy Spirit. He's called uh, the Spirit, the Helper, already in chapter 14, the Greek word paraclete, meaning the one who comes alongside. And so just as Jesus has been able to be alongside the disciples in a special way uh, for these three years, Jesus has not been, in the same way, been able to be alongside all of his followers or others around the world that were not in this area or this region in really any way. And so it was going to be an advantage to Jesus going back to be with the Father and to send the Helper, the one who would come alongside, who would uh, be present with all who believe. All believers then would get to experience what it's like to have God with them, in them. The Holy Spirit who would come alongside them to encourage them, to teach them, uh, and to do what Jesus outlines in this passage. And so you can understand not only physically why this would be a benefit, that not only would 12 disciples or 11 disciples at this point get to enjoy the presence of God with them. But all of those who repent and believe would get to enjoy the presence of God with them. This is uh, the advantage of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus goes, though that may have been confusing to them at that point, wondering how could it be to our advantage that you go away, he begins outlining and he really outlines four advantages uh, of the Holy Spirit or four helps of the Helper. And I want us to look at those this morning as we prepare ourselves to go out and to be the church in the world 
What an encouragement for us as we um, separate from here and we go go out back to our homes and back to our neighborhoods and back to school and back to work that we know and are reminded first and foremost that we need help otherwise Jesus wouldn't have given us a helper. Um, It's a good reminder that we are weak in the world that we are going to be hated in the world but we have a helper who is going to strengthen us and come alongside us in this work. And so Jesus outlines it in uh, verse 4, the first three advantages of the Holy Spirit are the first three of four helps of the helper in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning, number one, sin, number two, righteousness, and number three, judgment. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he goes on to uh, tease those out a little bit more, explaining what he means by those. And so first and foremost, let's let's consider what it it would mean for the, the helper to help us by convicting the world of sin, specifically sinful unbelief. Look in verse 9 says that the Holy Spirit will help them by convicting them in regards to concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit is going to uh, work in the world to convict the world of their sin, to reveal to them that they have sinned against a holy and righteous God the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christian, preacher, it's not our job to convict the world of their sin. It's our job to proclaim the truth, to live by faith, to live lives that honor and glorify God. And maybe God would use those things to bring about conviction, but it is the Holy Spirit that brings about conviction in the world. Christian, it was the Holy Spirit moving on your heart that first brought about your conviction of sin. Maybe some of you can remember uh, a a day in your life when you were not sorrowful or convicted over your sin, and the next moment, the next day, you were. What changed? It was the work of the Holy Spirit on your life. Uh, Maybe using the word of God, maybe using the people of God, pointing you to the son of God and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Um, But it was the Holy Spirit that did began that good work in you. And we need to first and foremost, just give thanks and be thankful. It was not you who were so wise or so educated, or so knowledgeable, or so disciplined that you read and trained yourself, and you made a right decision when all of the rest of the world didn't. None of us fall into that category. It was the Holy Spirit that simply opened your eyes to the truth. And we ought to be thankful and grateful for that. Uh, It is the, the Holy Spirit that is 
opens our eyes to realize that we are sinners and have sinned against God. And ultimately, that sin uh, lies in unbelief. Uh, Our unbelief is our greatest sin. If you will, it's, it's that unforgivable sin. If we don't ever turn from unbelief to belief, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so it's the Holy Spirit that brings that about. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so Jesus tells these disciples that they are going to be helped, um, that the world is going to be helped by sending this Holy Spirit to first and foremost convict of sin, um, the sin of unbelief, that we might turn to him and believe. But Christian, realize what a blessing, what an advantage, what a help the Holy Spirit is in your life even after you come to believe in Jesus Christ. He continues to convict you of sins. He continues to reveal to you blind spots in your life that are keeping you from looking more and more like Christ. This is not something that the Holy Spirit did once and was done. This is something that the Holy Spirit continues to do in your life, Christian. He would continue to do it in the disciples' lives. Uh, He would continue to do it in Christians' lives, convicting us of sin so that we might believe in Christ more. Uh, Repent of our sin, trust Christ, be more obedient, more faithful to him so that the world might see a difference in us. So that we might live lives that would honor and glorify him and that the world might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is continuing to do this work of convicting Christians of sin. And I pray that he continues to do that in you this morning. As I've been praying in my own life this week, that the Holy Spirit, even this morning, would would pause in a moment and convict each of us, reveal to us, would um, show us our sin, would bring to mind the, the realization that our sin offends the Lord, that it was our sin that forced God to send his one and only son to earth to die on the cross, that even this morning we would be convicted of our sin in a way that we weren't this morning or in a way that we weren't late last night or in a way that we weren't previously this week at work, that this morning Uh, The Holy Spirit, I've prayed, would convict us of our sin and we would do well to, between the Lord and and ourselves individually, confess and to repent and to turn back to the Lord. Christian, you would do well to not only confess to the Lord, but to confess to another your sin, maybe your secret sin or your habitual sin. Or maybe husbands and wives, parents and children, church members, the sin that is obvious to others that you just have not been willing to 
confess or acknowledge before others and having offended others. You would do well to confess that. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you this morning of sin in your life, confess to the Lord, confess to another, draw near to the Lord, and remember that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. When Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2, um, he told them about their sin of unbelief, the fact that they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that they crucified him and that they killed him. And in response to that, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter said, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it says in verse 37 that now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit by what Peter had said. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, Christian, the encouragement is to repent of your sins, to confess your sins to God and confess them to one another. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, and yet in your heart, in the depths of your soul, you feel convicted over your sin of unbelief of who Jesus is. It would be my encouragement to you on, a, on the authority of God's word to, to say to you what Peter said to those who were convicted in their heart, cut to the heart that day, almost 2,000 years ago. And that's to simply repent and to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow him in obedience Obedience that would one day lead you to baptism, to publicly profess your faith in Jesus, uh, and to realize that in doing so, you'll be forgiven of your sins. And so the first help that the Holy Spirit uh, offers us is this conviction of sin. But it's uh, ultimately the sin of unbelief, but a continuing conviction of sin in our life but secondly, it would go on, the second help of the, the helper is the conviction concerning Jesus' true righteousness. Look in verse, uh, verse uh, 10 with me. Concerning righteousness, Jesus says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And so... What this probably means, it may, may be one or the other, but it may even be twofold. That the Holy Spirit's help would be offered in the sense that he would um, convict the world because of their false righteousness. A false righteousness in thinking that they were good. The Apostle John um, records Jesus' ministry of showing the difference between the false righteousness of the Pharisees and the true righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so there, there's likely a, 
conviction of the Holy Spirit regarding false righteousness. People that think that they're good and that one day they will stand before God and they think that they've done more good than bad and have been able to tip the scales in their favor when in reality the Bible's overwhelming evidence says that no, it uh, doesn't matter how much good or how much righteousness you have, if you have any bit of unrighteousness or false righteousness, when you stand before God, you will not be allowed into heaven. Which is why God sent Jesus in the first place to live a perfect and sinless and truly righteous life. And so I think the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin here is on the world which he did for us before we became Christians was to convict us of our false righteousness. And the Holy Spirit continues to do this work. He did it in the Pharisees' lives, convicting them of their false righteousness, that obeying the law would never save. He continues to do that. But he would also convict us and, and show us that only Jesus is truly righteous. And that's why Jesus said he he would do this again in verse 10 concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer. Jesus says that the father will accept Jesus back into his presence because though he came to this earth, he continued to live a perfect sinless life yet willingly took on the sin and unrighteousness of the world upon himself at the cross and was buried and yet he rose victorious over sin and death. He rose victorious, um, taking the punishment for our unrighteousness and remained righteous himself. Thinking about um, that displayed in Jesus's miracles, um, in, according to the Old Testament law, if one touched something unclean, they became unclean themselves. But not so with Jesus. When Jesus touched something unclean, he remained clean and made that which was unclean clean itself. And the same was true at the cross. He who was righteous took on the unrighteousness of the world, and yet that did not stain him. He remained unstained. He remained righteous and was uh, resurrected from the grave and was able to ascend to the right hand of God because he remained righteous. So the Holy Spirit will convict us, will show us in our hearts and in our minds that only Jesus is truly righteous and able to ascend to the right hand of, the, uh, of God. Which is why it's important to remember Jesus' words when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. He who alone was righteous and was able to stand before God. Uh, similarly, like I mentioned um, from the book of Acts, these truths being um, re-communicated by the apostles who were there in the upper room this evening that we're considering. Um, 
though they were sorrowful, thinking about the loneliness that they were going to experience, uh, though they were worried about being hated in the world, when the Holy Spirit came to them in Acts chapter 2, they went out with great boldness and great courage to proclaim these truths to the world. As I mentioned earlier in Acts chapter 2, the the crowd was convicted and cut to the heart because of sin. But because of their continued work and continued preaching, we see that, they were, that the people there were convicted by the righteousness of Christ in the preaching of the apostles. In Acts chapter 17, in verse 30, the apostle Paul is preaching in Athens, Greece, there at Mars Hill. And it says that the times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In verse 31 of Acts chapter 17, he says, Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by, the, by raising him from the dead. Listen, one day we'll all stand before God and we will be judged according to the righteousness of Christ. Uh, we have the good news of the gospel, the good news of the New Testament that tells us that in repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus... The worst about us was placed on Christ there at the cross. And the best of Christ was placed upon us, imputed to us, given to us. Jesus' righteousness was given to us so that when we stand before God, we won't be judged by our actions. We'll be judged uh, by Christ's righteousness. And that's good news for us who are sinners thinking about the list of sins that we have rolled up up to this point. Even considering the list of sins that will continue to add to that list in the days ahead. Knowing that we will one day be able to stand before God, not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness that is given to us on that day. But that, that's just the second thing. He goes on and gives us a third aspect, a third help of the Holy Spirit. Not only concerning sinful unbelief, not only concerning Jesus' righteousness or even our false righteousness, but the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning their wrongful judgment. Their wrongful judgment. Uh, the... Many of the people were, had already wrongfully judged Jesus and said that Jesus was not the Messiah. They, though Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, they rejected him. They denied him. They judged him a, a, a heretic. They judged him a blasphemer. They judged him um, the opposite of everything that he claimed to be. They judged him wrongly. And the Holy Spirit would convict many concerning their wrongful judgment. Um, where Jesus says in verse 11, concerning judgment because 
the ruler of this world, is judged. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's already alluded to this, that at the cross, Satan would be cast out. Satan would be bound. At the cross, Satan would be judged. And while the world who would that very evening uh, wrongfully arrest Jesus and the next day crucify Jesus, though they judged him a blasphemer and would crucify him, what would end up happening is at the cross, it was not he who was judged, but it was actually they who were judged. So when Satan thought that he had got the world to arrest and eventually crucify the son, and Satan thought he had won in crucifying Jesus, uh, it was actually Satan who was judged at the moment of the cross. And so Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, it's to your advantage that I go because the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning the sin of wrongful judgment of who Jesus is. And all of us, before we came to faith in Jesus, we judged Jesus wrongly. We did. Even if you were at a young age, you judged Jesus as unimportant enough to follow and to obey. Um, if you were older in your life, when you turned to Christ, you had rejected him up to that point, maybe even denying his existence, maybe even denying that he was the Son of God. Intellectually, one reason or the other, um, we all judged uh, Jesus and, and didn't believe in him, didn't think it was uh, needful for us to repent of our sins and trust in him. But the Holy Spirit convicted us of that wrong judgment. The Holy Spirit convicted us of that. And not only did he convict us of our wrongful judgment at that point, it showed us in accordance with God's word that we would stand before God to be judged one day. And that we would need some we would need help in that day. Help that would come from the Lord himself. And so Jesus says it's to the disciples that evening, their advantage that the Holy Spirit would be given to them to convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged, the, the people of the world will be judged, and all will stand before God one day. Paul records in Romans and in Philippians in quoting Isaiah that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, there will be a judgment one day. And praise be to God that Jesus accomplished his work on this earth and went back to the Father to send the Holy Spirit that we would be convicted, that it would be made known to us that we would stand before the Lord one day and would be judged according to our judgment of Jesus. We won't be simply be judged simply by our wrongdoings or our right doings. We're going to be judged on how we've judged Jesus. And so, Christian, if someone asks you, 
why you could stand before God one day or why God would allow you into heaven, don't begin listing your good works. In that moment, uh, proclaim the gospel to them and say to them that the only way that you'll be able to stand before God is because you've uh, been made aware, you've judged Jesus rightly as the Son of God, and you've repented of your sins and trusted in him. And if up to this point you have yet to judge Jesus rightly as the Son of God, let me urge you to do so this very morning. For one day you too will, will stand. And the question, um, the question will be there when we stand before God. Will we bow uh, because we are being judged because of our lack of judgment in accepting Jesus as he identified himself? Or will we uh, bow in worship? Because we know already that we, who Jesus was, and we finally see him in all of his glory. And we, with uh, the elders around the throne and the creatures around the throne, will bow and worship him, saying, holy, holy, holy. And so the Holy Spirit is our help in those three areas, but Jesus goes on and gives us another one, another one last advantage of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for this. Even as a preacher this morning, and I think you'll be encouraged by this, even as you go out this, this afternoon and open your scriptures tomorrow or this evening or tomorrow morning. Look in verse 12. The last thing is that the Holy Spirit will, will help by guiding the disciples and declaring the gospel of truth. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, here it is, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That is, that the Holy Spirit would help the disciples fully realize what was to come for them, what they would witness, the cross and the resurrection. The Holy Spirit would, the one, would be the one to help them realize the importance of those moments. Um, he, Jesus says in verse 14 that he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, the Son, for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so this was good news for the disciples to be guided into all truth, to be guided into a realization of how all of the Old Testament scriptures spoke concerning Jesus. And they would go on then and be helped by the Holy Spirit uh, to write down these things that we have uh, in the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit would be their help and their guide. And so for us Christians 2,000 years later, we're still helped um, in the fact that we have the scriptures written down for us. The scriptures that were inspired by the very Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth, 
Christian, consider where you would be without the word of God. We would be lost. We would not know the depths of our sin. We would not know uh, the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We would not know the help of the Holy Spirit that we have. We would not know the truths that we're to live out as the church. We are helped individually as Christians. We are helped as a church. Um, not only as churches and Christians have been helped in, in the past uh, 20 centuries in the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we will continue to be helped in the days to come as the Holy Spirit will guide us individually and corporately into the truth. And so I'm thankful for opportunities that we have week after week to gather with one another in applying the word of God, in speaking to one another, how uh, confessing our sin to one another, uh, in applying the truths of the word and in seeing how the Holy Spirit is guiding us into more and more truth as we grow to become more and more like Christ. I see the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, church, as we continue to shine more and more brightly the light of Christ in our community. I see the, the help of the Holy Spirit in this aspect of help in guiding us into the truth uh, in, in seeing that it's not just uh, a pastor that's helping you grow to become more Christ-like. You're helping one another do that by being guided individually in the Word of God. Christian, when you open your Bibles this evening or tomorrow morning, ask uh, that you would rely upon the help of the Holy Spirit. Don't just jump into it immediately thinking that you have the strength or the eyes to see your, yourself. Rely upon the help of the Holy Spirit in guiding you into, into the truth. Rely upon the help of the Holy Spirit to convict you of who Jesus is. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to convict you of your false righteousness and to believe in the righteousness of Christ alone. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin and to reveal to you sin in your life that you've yet to see. And if, if you're not a Christian here this morning, just simply ask the Holy Spirit to help you by giving you the gift of faith. Giving you the gift that so many of us here have already received, uh, having believed upon the Lord Jesus to be saved. What a help we have in the Holy Spirit. And so let us do as the psalmist did. Let us lift our eyes let us lift our heads. Let us lift our hearts to the Lord. From where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your sending of the Son. Jesus, I'm thankful for your willingness to come, to live and to die and to rise. And in ascending, you sent your very spirit to be with us. What a blessing that is. What an advantage that is to us. And we thank you and praise you for it. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We glorify you as we accept your help this morning in conviction of sin, 
and righteousness and judgment. We trust that you have helped us this morning, guiding us to the truth. Lord, help us as, uh, Holy Spirit, help us as we go out uh, this, this afternoon in our weakness, knowing that we need help, that you will continue to be our helper as we go away from this place, back into the world, knowing that we may be hated like Christ was hated, yet we have your help. We thank you and praise you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.